Hey, I'm uh, Chris Anderson. I'm a big Changelog listener, and so are you. I work on CouchDB, and this is the CouchDB theme song. Bum, bum, ba, 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 bum, ba, 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 bum. CouchDB, 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 relax. Welcome to the Change Log, episode 0.1.8. I'm Adam Stukoviak. And I am Wayne Netherland. This is the Change Log. We cover what's fresh and new in the world of open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. For a real time view of open source, check out tail.thechangelog.com. Also, head over to github.com forward slash explore where you'll find some training repos, some feature repos from our blog, as well as all of the audio podcasts from this year, Diddy. If you're on Twitter, follow us at Change Log Show, not the Change Log. And I am Adam Stack. And I am Penguin, P E N G W Y N N, Whiskey Yankee November, November. Cool episode this week. So much fun participating in the NoSQL Big Data Smackdown, brought to you by InfoChimps and Rackspace at South by Southwest. Let's give a hand to uh, J. Chris first for that awesome CouchDB theme song. Yeah, that was pretty wild. And you like the dance even better. Yeah, there was a there was a dance company with that. It's a shame that uh, did we get it on video? I don't think we did. It's like half Running Man, half uh, Wedding Chicken song. Yeah, it was some oddity. I don't know. It had some Tigger in there too, somewhere bouncing all around. Such a fun time at the uh, the SmackDown. You know, the lineup for the SmackDown. Uh, we uh, got together and debated the merits of each of these higher end uh, NoSQL data stores. Uh, Stu Hood from Cassandra, Jan Leonard from. CouchDB, myself uh, representing MongoDB as the best fanboy that, that I could be, and Vern Wogles from Amazon, the CTO of Amazon, which I found out later who he was after he joined us from the peanut gallery about, what, five minutes in? It was about five minutes in, and he came in and uh, started putting the smackdown on you guys. He did. Clearly the alpha geek in the room. We did get a video of the event. Hopefully we can do something fun with that and post it later. Yeah, uh, well, we would have done this with uh, with the video in mind because that was actually the intention was to post a video of it. But uh, man, had some troubles getting that video exported in the right way, and I hate video. It's hard to do it when you're on site at a conference. Anyway, we uh, just got back from South by Southwest uh, within the last uh, forty eight hours or so, trying to catch our breath from a fun conference. What a fun conference down in Austin! Yeah, it was an awesome conference. Met a lot of good people. Uh, geez, we met Tony Shea passing by. We met. Uh, Guy Kawasaki, we met up with uh, with Technoweenie, a.k.a. Rick Olson, and uh, met up with a lot of people. It's a lot of fun. A couple of guys flagging us down, say, hey, listen to the change yeah. log. So it made us feel good we have at least a dozen listeners out there or so. Gave out some shirts. We did. Kind of bummed that we won't get to uh, JS Comp this year, it looks like. So write your congressman, voice your outrage that we won't cover the uh, the coolest JavaScript conference this year. Yeah, a sudden turn of events leaves us in a lurch not being able to make it there. No uh, no solution in sight yet, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, we've got a busy docket this year, Chirp and, and uh, Texas JS and perhaps RailsConf. We'll see a uh, full docket uh, already, hoping to get out to OSCON in July at OSCON and, and let them know that uh, the changelog needs to, needs to represent the conference. That's right. Yeah, sometimes the, the crowd can help us, I suppose, right? Speaking of crowd, you know, uh, the crowd 
uh, is fully involved in the SmackDown, as you'll hear in, in the interview, as is uh, a kind of a rogue bird that was sitting right by the microphone the yeah, whole time. Yeah, I did hear that bird. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a fun episode. Should we get to it? Yeah, one time. you have immediately um hopefully they'll be uh relevant but you know anything anything you're curious about curious is about so right now we have uh cassandra mongodb and couch to be represented everyone's claiming that they're no sequel um nobody really knows what the exact definition of no sequel is um it means many different things it means data models it means replication uh it means what else scaling um so first up Let's talk a little bit about the data model. So Cassandra has a really interesting data model that allows massively wide rows. And I mean, we're all document stores, right? Um, So what do you guys think about huge documents? Define huge. Huge, like as large as a machine can fit. They're awesome. I guess the definition of a document differs than in, in Cassandra and CouchDB. I don't know that much about Cassandra, but CouchDB can handle big documents, but we tend to think of them as small items, small entities that you handle individually. I believe Mongo's got a 4 gig per document rule limit, if I'm... Uh, not 4 gig, 4 meg. No, 4 gig. MongoDB, yeah. sorry. MongoDB, yeah. right. Four, four right, 4 max. Okay, and uh, so everyone is, everyone, all these other uh, competitors use JSON and kind of are untyped. Um, I don't like that. I don't like that they're untyped. I mean, because you can do massively interesting things if you have type data. I mean, it might be sorted, so you can slice little pieces out of it. Um, that's something that Cassandra provides. So if you have a, a document and um, it allows it to grow large because you might, you might want to get just a little piece of your document out. Mongo actually uses the BSON spec, so it is pseudo-typed at the file system level. So it's got, um, uh, it's not just strings in the database. You have ints, you have other database types, and you can even store files in the, in the file system, GridFS. Yeah, CouchDB uses JSON. Uh, it does have a, a bunch of um, data types. The nice thing about JSON is it's a subset of all, pro- of all the programming language that we're using. It's like the lowest common denominator that everybody can serialize objects into in exchange. So I can have a Java object and serialize into JSON, load it up in Python and can just work with it without having like thousands and thousands of lines of code who does some object translation between some arcane format and something else. So JSON is really, really good for data interchange. But it's slow! What? Oh, so he says it's slow. So Bobby Polito from the Python community wrote a wrote a JSON compiler, uh, a JSON um, module for Python, which is actually faster than the uh, the protocol buffers Google claims are so fast. So shut up. <laughs> All right. So I believe we disagree on typed, and that's fine with me. I want to add to the typed. Uh, the web is not really typed, and people who are using the web are usually not. I hope most of them are not computer scientists. Like sorry to all the computer scientists and me, but you should. Like it's great that you use the web, but the web is something that enables everybody to share data or to express themselves in some way. And having them to teach about data types is really just like it's just an arcane artifact of, of programming. They shouldn't think about how do I store arrays and objects and stuff. They should just stuff whatever they have into a database. They should not think about it. So, 
I would hope that the people that are developing web applications are computer scientists, but maybe not. I don't know. There, there should be. <laughs> so there, there was an argument yesterday, I heard, I guess, that the, the iPhone App Store has about over 100,000 applications on it. And when GeoCities was shut, was shut down, they had over 100,000 websites on it. So it's a different magnitude of scale if you have if you let everybody um, participate in, in the open web. So um, you, you definitely do want to have everybody who has an interest in doing web stuff doing web stuff and not restricted to the like getting it right computer sciences type because I'm really bored of all the stuff we come up with and the amateurs really have no clue what everything is about. Do the real cool and interesting applications. That's a lot of crap. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Let me explain why. You know, so so how many programming languages do you know that are completely untimed? Except for Perl. <laughs> yeah, so everybody that's developing applications actually has types. And suddenly you go to the database and all your types disappear. Yeah. No, that's not true. Well, Jason defines types, you can do that, but you don't have to worry about it as much as if you're like, you don't have to go up front and define, okay, this, and I, I, will need a, I will need an array of integers uh, to, like, to store whatever list I'm having. You don't have to think about that that much. It's, it's easier for a programmer to do it naturally and for a non-programmer even more. Yeah, but you, you force everybody to rewrite all their programs with these things in mind. So? So, yeah, well, that's a lot of work. There seem to be quite a few programs out there, you know. GUCDs exists, yeah, and all these other things. So, so what about this compatibility stuff? Why do you guys force, you know, everybody to rewrite all their applications? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Right? No, absolutely. Well, so also Hadoop. Hadoop is completely unstructured um, by default, right? So you throw anything in it and then you process it. You can do something similar with CouchDB. So I don't know why I'm defending CouchDB, but <laughs> I want to point that out. Oh Type doesn't always win. Diagnostic. Well, so, no, so, so there's a lot of, I think, for, for many of these things going, it's not actually about time. It also, when you look at consistency models and things like that, where traditional database applications you know, are used to a very different model. So you either have to rewind your applications, fixing according to the new model, whether it's type or whether it's a consistency model or, or you know, other, other things around it. Um, suddenly you force everybody to rethink. Now, that may be a good thing. Yeah, but it definitely hurts adoption. Yeah, so let's talk about consistency really quickly. Um, let's talk about the different models. Cassandra has kind of a peer-to-peer -peer model that comes from uh, Werner's, Werner's brainchild, um, Dynamo, uh, where any node can, can accept a write, and then if enough nodes have accepted the write, then the write succeeds, otherwise it doesn't. And at read time, you, you resolve all that. I, I don't know about, I don't know how I feel about uh, the CouchDB and Mongo models. I mean, Mongo, Mongo hasn't actually figured that part out, right? I mean, that's right, there's a two-second delay before you actually come into the database, is that what you're talking about? Uh, no, so I, I believe Mongo's still master-slave type replication. Sure, sure. And I must admit, uh, core committers to these projects, I'm just a Microsoft, I mean, a Microsoft, Mongo fanboy, it used to be a Microsoft fanboy, uh -oh. but uh, the M-word. Um, define a little bit what you're talking about, see if I can defend it just as, a, as an end user. So if you have a data center in Washington and you have another data center in California, you can do a write in one of those data centers. And even if the other data center is down, depending on your tunables, you can still succeed that write because no no one of those nodes is actually responsible at a given time. Like it's it's not there's no one dedicated to a particular key. Right, and in, in this case, advantage Cassandra. But you know, I would argue in most applications that's not needed. Oh, wow, wow, wow. 
It's not, it's not actually, actually the whole consistency model, the eventual consistency model doesn't come from the fact that this is something that you want at the application level. It is basically abstractions from the implementation leaking up. Uh, the fact that there's two reasons for replication. Either you do it for uh, gaining fault tolerance, or you do it for uh, getting a higher level of concurrency so you can get better read throughput or write throughput or whatever. Yeah? For those two reasons, you have to replicate. If you have to replicate, you have to make a decision, do I write to all replicas? And guarantee to all uh, guarantee to write to all web web replicas such that my reads are always consistent. That might not be a well performed issue because you know at writes you know it's you you, you get a huge cost and especially if you cannot get your quorum you know you may have to fail your writes and there's a number of applications where that may not be truthful uh, where that may not be useful for it. so these are things that are actually leaking off from the implementation through the through the uh, through the APIs. If everybody could get a choice, everybody would want strong consistency. Yeah? It is just that with strong consistency means that you have to take a lot of other trade-offs. The main one being not being able to get much write throughput, and the other one is being you know, that there's a number of failure scenarios in which you will be dead in order. So are you saying that Dynamo wasn't user-friendly? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, actually, so... Um, uh, so there's a, there's a number, there's a range of things. I think uh, so. Dynamo is sort of this, uh, one of the systems that predates a number of these, um, and, and where, where we made consistency models explicit. It's not that we were the first ones to offer uh, an eventually consistent system. I think actually most relational databases give you eventual consistency. You just don't know it mainly because if you use your application in a traditional relational database, like one of the commercial ones, there's a delay when the logs are being shipped. And if you read from the from uh, from the slave, you do not get the consistency. Yeah, there is just always a window. So but, but okay, so why, why wasn't Dynamo consistent, uh, user friendly? Not only for the consistency level, but also, for example, because we didn't we you had to have the key if you came to the database. There's no way to do a list to figure out what are my keys. You know, so you have to have a key. You have to, and the key normally comes from somewhere else. For example, from a customer database where we oh, develop. Uh, so when we developed the first, uh, when we developed uh, Dynamo, it was to support shopping carts. That was one of the use cases. So that meant you went to the database, you went to the storage system, and you already had a key. Yeah, um, and and that's why, for example, S3 is a user-friendly storage key-value storage system, but Dynamo actually isn't that much user-friendly. With S3, you can do a list, you can get a, do a prefix list on what are my keys, and then find things out. That stuff, for example, that's not in the, in. Um, What's the name of that one? <laughs> 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 Isn't S3 built on Dynamo? What? Isn't S3 built on Dynamo? No comment. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so... I'm about to kick the plug out. Uh-oh. Dance! I'm waiting for it. So, uh... There's a fault color here. You weren't expecting to get started with us, were you? You get stuck over here. So, and you're right in there. <laughs> so the answer is no, because if you will be an engineer, you'll be developing you a mic. You would know that if you have to do a list operator on top of this, that's a completely different internal architecture. So is Dynamo used and Dynamo principles used throughout all of these systems in Amazon where you have to get enormous scale? Yes. 
Yeah? Where the, the system in itself, as we described, it was mainly built for the shopping cart first. But all of these things consist of modules that are being reused throughout the whole company. It's more the principles that matter than the, the actual implementation. So yeah. I would say that Cassandra is actually a little bit more user friendly in that case because we, we're, yeah, okay, we're not using uh, we're not using um, hashing in order to determine where a key lives. Uh, so you can actually do those list operations. You can you can basically treat it like you would Bigtable from Google and uh, get a list of all of your keys. Um, I imagine you can do that with uh, the competitors, but Cassandra's implementation is better. So, so I like that you guys all focus on the big data problem, on the massive scale, and on all the websites that have these problems, which are like seven. Um, CouchDB is more like the personal database, something that you can you can use for whatever you want to do. It doesn't force you to to think in these these big um, in, to have these big thoughts. But if you start out small, CouchDB allows you to grow gradually with whatever whatever uh, usage pattern you have. So we're I think we're, these guys are building Ferraris and drag stars, so we are building a hundred accord of databases that everybody can use, but can get along with for a long, long time. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know, there's a reason that Couch rhymes with Ouch. Um, you know, anybody that's used Mongo coming from Couch DB, uh, it's just night and day as far as the ease of use and getting set up, getting the server involved, uh, installed, uh, finding wrappers for your language of choice, and suddenly, you know, I don't have to know what I'm going to ask for up front. It reminds me of the Seinfeld episode when Kramer's doing uh, the movie phone and he says, why don't you just tell me the movie you want to watch, right? It's the same thing with, with your views up front. You have to materialize these up front, but with Mongo, you know, I can just so you're saying you have, the fly. you have indexes magically appear with no performance? Well, indexes are one thing, right? But views are something totally different, right? So when, right. I, when I set a, an index, yeah, it takes effect for that index to kick in, right? It takes right. time for it, right? right? Nobody can cheat. Right, right. but I can get around it if I have a, a low, uh, you know, uh, edge case where I need to do a query. With, with Couch, I have to know no, what that you, view is. You, you can have that query. Yeah, That's but cool. realistically, anything beyond, you know, dynamic and, and couch just, in my own experience, just haven't been, you know, you like should, all in one. Oh, you should try new versions then. Okay, maybe I need to upgrade. So let me tell you about all of these guys suck. Um, <laughs> yes! Because you should not ruin your own database. Uh, that time is past. These guys force you to run your own database, to manage replication, to go dive deep into that. You should Your all this stuff to be a service. How uh, can you, you know, well, well, how, go, how, how do you, the, the cloud is awesome, but what do you do if your DSL provider craps out? What do you do when you're the 3G's now? What if you're on AT&T and you have no more coverage? How do you reach the cloud? You're dead in the water. You're dead in the water. With a really great cloud that you have that nobody can reach. You go to a bar and you have a few beers, you come back and you Exactly. You know. and, and you're <laughs> And your customers will leave you left and right if you're offline. Well, you know, given that we've been doing this for a while, I think our customers, um, I kind of have an idea what customers do in this, this particular exactly, case. But, but again, you're one of the, you're one of the no. seven sites who... No, 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 no. But what is more, that if you aggregate all these customers that we have, whether you have S3, SimpleDB, you know, EBS, and all the other services, you should no longer... I mean, these guys, you are wasting your time. You know, and I love it. You know, this stuff, I really love this data stuff and these databases. I would keep build 10 more dynamos. I, yeah? I, because I, it is really, really cool. But you're not solving your customers' problems. Exactly. Because you, you're forcing them to do a lot of operational skills. I and agree with you wholeheartedly. Awesome. Hey, you should, you should, people who use, people who use database,
databases shouldn't use, oh, we want to use stuff. They shouldn't think about the database. It's something they would use. Part of the thing we're doing is abstracting the database away to build very, very cool applications and getting CouchDB into all the deployments you could think of that when you want to build something, it's already there and can just use it. You don't have to think about it. Like my mom should be able to run a CouchDB server without knowing that she runs a CouchDB server. That's the thing we're trying to do. You should not run a database. That's nothing you would ever want to do. Remember, guys, if you guys have any questions, just throw up a hand. I mean, I'm sure you have comments. We'll shut uh, real quick, but there. Also, so the comments on the seven biggest sites, like, don't you guys want to be the next biggest site? Or you want to be the number one site? So why would you build? Actually, I would like to really argue against the seven biggest sites. If I look at the amount of data, and I mean, everybody here, right, is because you all think about big big data, right? That's why we're here. And, and how many of you were not for the biggest seven sites? I think most of you, don't you? Yeah? Yeah. So there's tons of data out there. Everybody has this big data. We did the time where small data sets were normal. I mean, petabyte, everybody has petabytes data sets, and that's only the start of it. It's also a control thing. If, if Amazon, if Google, if Apple, if all these people own all your data, Facebook, for example, they own all your data, they own all the URLs. The web wasn't meant to be a, a couple of big silos. People should be in control, in control of their own data. They should be able to use their own data as they fit. They should be able to put it under the URLs they control instead of being under the, 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 the whatever these guys are doing <laughs> to screw them over. It's a, it's a big privacy issue. Uh, it's another thing. Oh, it definitely is. There's a bunch of uh, privacy laws in Germany that I cannot use S3 to store user Yes, data. you can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Okay, stop. Uh, stop. Yes. Let, let, let me the, 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 the September 1 law in Germany, the new privacy law, no, has, has, yes, has, has the definition of a data processor where or not, yes or no, you can use that. And so with S3, you can use it as a data processor. Um, um, I'm thinking about a very specific policy where in Germany, if, if I'm asking some Somebody to delete all my data. He needs to be able on yes. my to prove that everything is deleted. If it's somewhere in the cloud, stored somewhere in S3 on some data center that the U.S. Uh, government has access to at any time. No, US. that's not true. As you know, and at least Amazon does. I don't know whether it's for the other guys. We comply with safe harbor rules, which means that if you follow the data protection uh, direction, the directorate of the EU, yeah, we follow safe harbor rules. There's an explicit number of lists of things that you have to do when uh, when the government comes to you and asks for access to this data, which is to notify you, to give you the ability to retrieve your data or to remove your data before other ones get access. There's very explicit rules around this. Werner, the rest of us, the rest of us agree against you in the sense that we're open source, so anyone can anyone can host our application, right? So, but they still have to host it. Yeah, we'd love to use you for your virtual private <laughs> server, but no, no, I'm more than happy that you guys run Cassandra and Mongo and others on Amazon Institute, which you can do with VBS, and tons of people do this kind of. Yet you're wasting your time because that's not what you should be doing. You should be building better value for your customers, and it is by not focusing on your database. That's that's what we're doing with the local databases. We're giving, like, take Salesforce as an example. Everybody who's using Salesforce is making a lot of money. If Salesforce goes down, an entire industry is unable to use stuff. If you have an offline version of Salesforce that would, for example, use. A, a, How often did Salesforce go down? Oh, it does happen. When, and Salesforce, sorry, 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 Salesforce doesn't even have to go down for that, you, you need to have a connection to Salesforce. And again, if, if your, your cable provider, your DSL provider craps out, who's a, who's a happy Comcast customer? Exactly. <laughs> so so are, you, are you arguing that Amazon should allow you to download the entire Amazon database and then shop locally? Uh, it should allow users to... And buy things locally? Yes! Yes! <laughs> well, okay.
Can I hack it on the plane? I guess that's the question. When you fly back from South by Southwest, can I hack the application? Exactly. But another question. So, you know, uh, you know, we go back to the seven biggest sites things for a moment. You know, I hear NoSQL often, and you know, it, the pop, popular uh, blog post a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, how MySQL can scale and the NoSQL lie and all of this stuff. But, you know, we're kind of like in what we were with Web 2.0 a few years ago, where we have this term out here that we haven't really defined. How many people think NoSQL means big and scaling? Right. How many people? How many people think non-relational schemaless? All right, a few more hands, and I think that's a distinction that we've got to put some sort of definition to this term NoSQL so that we can, when we have smackdowns like this, we can agree what we're arguing about. All right, I think NoSQL is about choice of data storage, which Vernon says we're wasting our time on. But but if if I'm if I'm building an application that needs very fast logging, I'm looking at Memcache at Redis and MongoDB. If I need something that has offline peer-to-peer -peer replication, I'm looking at CouchDB. If I'm using, looking at something that needs to be hosted and I shouldn't shouldn't think about it, I look at S3 and the other stuff Amazon other people are doing. If I have hundreds and thousands of servers that I need to keep busy, I look at Hadoop or Cassandra. Well, I would like to point out that this is a big data meetup. Uh, and SimpleDB, I think, has a 10 gigabyte limit? Uh, per domain. Per domain. Well, okay. So uh, basically what you have to do is you have to do your own um, partitioning. Right. Do your own partitioning. Okay, so, so let me... Um, so when I think about NoSQL, and given that we have some history in this, or what I think before came before SQL was that um, long, for a very long time the database, uh, any data storage, and whether it was a database or whether it was just storage, the default or the default application to use there, or the default service to use there, was a relational database because there was nothing else. Maybe you can have some B2B, but I mean those are basically the only two choices now. What drove us to start building different types of databases is because if you if you look closer at how your processing is and you can decompose processing into different steps, you see that for most of those different steps, you have different data storage requirements. And that for each of those different requirements, you can find a very dedicated solution that is capable of being very fast, very reliable, while doing the generic thing, throwing all requirements into one big bucket. You end up with something, actually technology that has been developed in the 80s, where we expect to have 21st century scaling and, and performance out of it. That's impossible. Yeah? And so that was the thing that drives it. And if I look at the things that Amazon offers, it's not necessarily that I think that SimpleDB is the one and only table solution. No, it is it's a bucket of tools that you get these days. You have S3, you have SimpleDB, you have maybe one on Yuan, you want some bank caching. But the most important is that we now have a whole range of solutions that people can pick from. So you said impossible. I wouldn't say impossible. I said I would say just not discovered yet. I mean, uh, you can't. You can. For relational. Well, there are ways to implement things that are somewhat relational on top of these. Okay, scores. so, so we, we can... no, without breaking the model. Yeah. So, for example, if you want to do uh, implement everything like inner transactions, like uh, uh, multi-level views, and all of these kind of things, Absolutely. without breaking without breaking existing application, you cannot. So this is you know, if we could have built an absolutely infinite scalable relational database and kept all of the running programs intact, we would have done it. Right. Absolutely. And we cap theorem. I'm sure everyone has heard of it, Cap Theorem. We all agree. I don't think any of us have transactions, so I mean, we'll just we'll skip right over that, right? Um, well, except ah, so now SimpleDB has transactions. No, uh, Atomic gets and puts, isn't it? 
you have conditional uh, conditional okay which which are actually in the line with eventual consistency yeah here you actually if you cannot figure out the consistency model you ask this, the system to do this for you yeah and remember under the covers simple is still an eventual consistent system it is just that there's a number of operations on top of that with a different failure model yeah that, that you can use both. Let, let's talk data size real briefly. Um, I'd just like to point out that we have users of Cassandra that are storing multiple terabytes of data per node. So, how many? How do you guys respond to that? How many users are doing that? We have uh, at least three or four. Twitter and Dig okay. and um, Reddit are probably all using multiple, well, you know, gigabytes. Facebook. We've got a couple of things, Mebo and the BBC, one of the biggest ones, that, that do multi-terabyte sizes. Maybe not on a single box. Cashmere definitely supports that, but like the, these guys haven't run into the... They aren't one of the seven biggest, so they, they're not there yet. So how many of those sites started on a system of that scale? And would we have them today if they had? If they had, if they had seen the future, they probably would have started on Cassandra. Oh, magic! Uh, I don't know, you know, this, this, we, 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 we like to believe that it's only the big sites that have big data. But think about anybody that builds a Facebook game these days. Yeah? That means that you can go, and go from zero to 25 million users in a month. And so imagine all the logging you need to do, all the objects you need to keep around, all these things you need to do. Running into petabytes of data is something that you do very, very, very quickly these, these days. Yeah? Um, you run a marketing campaign on the web. A marketing campaign is no longer just a website. It's a website, it's video, it's user-contributed content, schedule gaming, it is integration into social networks, all of these things. That's a modern marketing campaign. All the data that those things generate, you're talking about terabytes of data quickly. That's a good point. So let's talk about some of the, the use cases and the scenarios that you would uh, need in, in most applications that do just just that thing. Can you, Cassandra or, or Couch, and I don't know the answer to this, update documents partially? Do I have to get the whole document before I can update it? Are there positional yeah. updates and incrementals and yeah. things? Okay. Are those new? No, it's been in for a while. Okay, okay. Yeah, Cassandra can. I mean, we can have very, very large rows, so obviously you're not pushing the whole row at once. Um, people can just insert more things. People build indexes within a single row for the rest of their data. What sort of operators are built in to do that for you automatically to do things like uh, incrementing a value, adding something to an array, updating a key and a hash? Let me call you Bob for a second. You write a JavaScript function for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I can drop down and do that in, in Mongo too, but I mean, there's, there's convenience is what I'm, exactly. I'm pointing out. Like, we, we, we have a very small set of standard library for these functions, but we're, like, users have not asked for that a lot, a whole lot. So well, it is expandable, of course, but we don't have a lot of that yet. Okay, so, so let me ask you guys another question. Right. So uh, you're open source. Yeah. Um, so if you put out a new release, so do your customers have to take your database down? No. No. So explain how you do it. Well, so what did you expect? So we Cashbase has a very robust file format and everything since the last three versions used the same file format so you don't have to do any upgrades. So the server can deal with the, with the same thing that you're, you're actually doing. So CatchDB has a very robust file system, uh, file system storage model that has been stable for a couple of versions. So whenever you upgrade, you never have to change anything without your uh, with your existing setup. On top of that, CatchDB is built in, er in Erlang. Who's a fan of Erlang here? Um, Erlang has the capacity, or, or has the as the, as a feature that allows you to upgrade a version at runtime, so it can run two versions at the same time while serving a database without having to take it down. So it has live upgrades built in. 
So, Cassandra, uh, I mean, we're changing the file format soon. You will have to restart the cluster. I mean, saying that you'll never have to uh, change the file format is kind of, you know. So, so what happens then if you have 10,000 nodes running? You can do a rolling restart. Yeah. That's the plan. And how long, uh, how long uh, does this rolling restart take? <laughs> Just from a practical point of view, we've done these things a few times. But I mean, what else do uh, persons folks have to do? I mean, it's fun. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, honestly... So this is one more case why you should not be worried about this stuff. You know, use this storage as a service, man. This is just, this is old-fashioned. This is so 1990s. I disagree. So with Cassandra... <laughs> with Cassandra, you can uh, you can run a single node incredibly easy. You can get a second node started incredibly easy. They can be anywhere. They're data center, you know, uh, locality aware. Um, uh, well, I mean, we have 45 node installs. All of, I mean, Twitter is running on 45 nodes. And but yeah, you know, Facebook had 150. It's easy enough to grow your cluster that I think. It may be more difficult to use EC2 than it is to, to manage your Cassandra cluster. I, I, I like to tag I like to tag in Jay Chris from the Cashmere project who's got a few things to say. Sorry about that, I'm breaking the rules, but I just wanted to bring the debate up a notch. So all this they've been talking about as far as I'm concerned, this is geek stuff. I'm not I don't care. I'm a developer, I write Erlang, but you shouldn't have to worry about any of this. Your database is yours, it lives at the edge, it's your data. Replication means any copy of the data, you can move it around, you can build workflows on top of replication. None of these guys, they're, they're all zigging, we're zagging. So I, I would really, I would like to see some people talking about the use case. I want to share photos with grandma and I don't want to ask Mark Zuckerberg for any favors. <laughs> Stuff it in S3 because then you get URLs that are just uh, completely addressable from the web. You don't need any intermediary servers. You know, key value, just web addressable stuff. That's the way to go. Does Grandma know how to use curl? I mean, I don't know. I assume you're going to develop an app for her. <laughs> but uh, next up, so in terms of performance, I, I, I don't even know if we need to talk about it because I think Cassandra has you guys topped. Uh. So, Capsule doesn't doesn't um, optimize for single query performance, so everything might just be fast enough, not as fast as it can get, but by the properties that running systems come with, it can handle thousands and ten thousand, maybe hundred thousand concurrent connections and have, have a constant stream um, of, of performance out of whatever your hardware supports without falling over. I would argue Mongo's fast enough. I mean, it, yeah. You, you don't have a concurrency story. What if a thousand users hit you at the same time you're dead in the morning? Again, there's caching. They're written in C. I mean, that's a good, right? Aren't they fast enough? Yeah, it doesn't scale concurrently. So how easy is it to also quickly hook up a CDN to your store? Yeah, okay, you just we won't flip up the bit suddenly have you know caching all over the world and not open it between the world. <laughs> so wizard S3 doing this at 125,000 transactions a second. So Cassandra, Cassandra can do 25,000 requests per second per node. Do, do we have more audience questions before that? Right. Talk about transactions. When are do you need transactions? Banks have relational databases because they have transactions. Yeah, I'm, I'll repeat the question. He's asking about transactions. Do you do people need transactions? Raise your hands. Oh, okay, so that's your answer. Okay, so, so, 
wait, wait. First of all, transactions have nothing to do with relational databases. The fact that the fact that they were offered by the same particular tool, that's a different thing. Transactions is just that you get a number of guarantees, asset guarantees about the update of your data. That's all. Yeah, have nothing to do with relational databases. Also, NoSQL is about using the right tool for the job. Yeah, exactly. So there are engines for building transactions. Zookeeper is one of them. It's open source as well. That's how you should do your transactions, and that's how a lot of people do. Uh, so, let's talk a bit a little about ecosystems. Um, Cassandra, I mean, I'm going to name drop. Cassandra has a few good installs. Um, Twitter, Cloud, CloudKick, alphabetically, CloudKick is at the top. Uh, but yes, also Twitter, Facebook, what do you guys got? I got the BBC, I got Canonical. Um, it's not as big as you, you can get, but we have, probably have a, little, a few more installs than you guys have. It's been awesome stepping out to the list under Discuss is out there, SourceForge. Move to, uh, to MongoDB. Of course, is how you keep up with open source software. Someone made a remark, someone tweeted a remark saying that I, when, when I see Stan, I tell you to go to the bar. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> before someone thinks that that is an official company statement. Uh, I think just with any other database or whatever, you know, you protect yourself on multiple different levels. You use caching, you be intelligent about where you store your data. Um, you know, S3 also gives you multiple zones and availability zones where you can actually store your data. There's many, many techniques that you can, can, can use to protect yourself from, uh, from these kind of failures. Just, that's the, um, that's the real answer to giving what the other one's funnier. So how about uh, wide area replication? I mean, people people are geographically distributed. Um, Cassandra supports wide area replication. It's kind of native. Uh, how do people accomplish that with you with your stores, or do they well, fall catch, down? has um, master master or multi master replication building, which has been built for ge geographical distribution in mind. So we just have that. I believe currently Mongo is master slave. But I believe master master is coming. Yeah, but it, it never works with your data model. Multiple regions where each of the regions is guaranteed to store the data independently. Store your data in the EU. It's guaranteed to only stay in the EU. Not only, not even metadata about the about the data will ever leave the EU. Um, oh, so you get you get geographical replication for free. East Coast goes disappears off the earth, which actually appears to be happening at the moment. Um, you know, we'll, you'll still have the other sites, and you still have Asia and things like that as well. Yeah, so a big table recently um, had an outage. I guess it was App Engine, and I love Google because they're very, very open about what went down. Amazon is too. But uh, so what went down was that their master and slave replication basically got out of sync between data centers. So I don't know if uh, I don't know how I how I feel about master slave replication. Can we can we break that? Is Mongo planning to break that? Good question. Good, good, good question. Yeah, you can break it. It's not that hard to, to break it, but on the, I mean, there's advantages on all sides. You know, as always, the cap theorem is not that it forces us to use a particular consistency model. You get to make the trade-offs. I think, you know, Cassandra as well as Dynamo before that, one of the exercises in Dynamo was really to make sure that we would give in the hands of the developers the choice 
to go for do you want to be really highly available or are you willing to sacrifice some of your consistency model there and there's knobs which you can 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 use there um, plus I think actually but the biggest innovation in all of this was uh, something called sloppy quorum the fact that you could take rights even if your quorum is down and you could always always write to the system here if a customer that wants to put something in a shopping cart you're going to tell them no the storage system failed uh, timed out no it just always works I don't actually have a response to that. I guess that's possible in CouchDB, yeah. but only because no node actually knows whether it's responsible for something. But uh, I think we had a question. I think the one question you really need to answer with NoSQL is why do I want to do this MySQL and buying a bigger machine. I can buy a 10 terabyte RAM, 504 machine that will run MySQL or Oracle or whatever just fine. Why do I want a NoSQL? So the question was why not just scale up? Why scale out? Um, I would say that the question, uh, the answer when it comes to Oracle is price. That, that's very, very clear. We're all open source. Um, and when it comes to MySQL, eventually uh, that, no, that machine goes down um, and you have some sloppy situation where you have to either use patches to MySQL to not lose your data or you have to implement something else. You have your ops team implement DRVD or something. You know, it's back to the, the big data versus the schemaless questions. And I think if you're, if you're comparing something like Mongo to MySQL, I think it's a more fair comparison because it's a, you mentioned highly available. I would mention highly productive, right? So a lot of applications now, let's face it, a lot of the, the data that you use, you're not creating in-house. You're consuming APIs from other places. A lot of that is coming from JSON. It's coming from other hashes that are up in the sky, right? Using something like MySQL, then you have to model that schema and stash those. Using a NoSQL store, you can just stash the hash. So uh, in answer to that question, when I see somebody writing, uh, writing a Ruby app or a Java app or anything with a middle tier application layer, I look at that as a huge waste of time. With, with Couch Apps, it's just the browser and the CouchDB, right? You got a jQuery guy and you got somebody who knows how to keep the server from dying. You know? That's all it takes. And you know, Werner's on that same case. He's got HTTP, I agree with that. Just having an HTTP-based database means that you don't need all that crap in the middle. Well, I, I was actually arguing that you have to have a range of things to be able to pick from. And one of them is an HTTP accessible. But coming back to your question, actually, um, I think there's a number of use cases, and especially where it goes about is about existing software where you still may want to run your relational database. Yeah, when we when we built the first services at Amazon Storage Services, we did not offer a relational storage service. Why not? Because we thought that. You know, that would send the wrong signal because you really want to build scalable apps, you don't do that. However, there's a ton of, ton of applications, if you use Ruby and you use Active Records, you know, or any standard ORM kind of tool, you know, they all want to talk to MySQL. Uh, and so here you have a whole range of developers that just want to focus on writing Ruby. They don't want to run databases or whatever, and they don't care about what the backend is. And that's your argument about very small databases, very small data sets, they don't care. As soon as you have to scale, as soon as reliability becomes an issue, all of these kind of things, then it turns out that relational databases have their limitations at points that you know will hurt you. 
you bring up an excellent point about active record and I want to bitch about it it's really really cool for what it does but it is a thing of uh, simplicity CouchDB is built with simplicity in mind and the, the thing that we have to we have in, in the store here is that active record the last time I looked had around 25,000 lines of Ruby code and I know this is this is apples and whatever bungalows in a comparison CouchDB comes at around 15,000 lines of code so our enter, entire database is smaller than the that the wrapper you're using to solve your programming issues so we, we compress the stack by using pure couch apps without ORMs, without all the middleware crap that you could like find bugs in that takes a long time to use. Like it's just boring and uh, slow and I don't know. It just it, it plain sucks. I'm sorry. You know I I, uh, I I welcome this renaissance we've got for JavaScript and all these new NoSQL databases that are embracing this language of the past. Um, but but the problem of 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 couch is the fact that you have to do everything. In Talk JavaScript. to Apple, Google, and Mozilla about an app a language of the past. I'm a JavaScript fanboy. You listen to changelog. We mentioned Node.js on every episode. But it, it, the problem with with couch is you have to drop down to uh, to MapReduce and JavaScript to do anything. Anything of consequence, you have to drop down to JavaScript. And you know, I'm familiar with JavaScript. I love JavaScript. Well, but I know a lot of the folks that I work with feel like you have to have hazmat gloves to, to touch JavaScript. Yeah, that's cool. But they are like the CS majors of everybody. Uh, people who tinker with the web designers who just started to use jQuery, they're comfortable with that. They can use couch. You're going to get a web designer and a couch database? Yes. Oh, okay. This yeah. I got to see. And his name is Bob. But so, guys, we have to start wrapping up. Uh, is it a quick one? Yeah, it's about data modeling. A lot, of a lot of people who do relational databases always think about their data models. I just have the impression when you talk about these NoSQL databases that you just set data modeling as a side. You don't think about how you model. So, so the question was about data models, and um, there are names for what we do. Uh, in a relational database, you typically want to normalize, and in a non-relational database, you want to denormalize, and it's really just that simple. So you duplicate, but that's fine, is what we say. Um, so, and in closing statements, uh, let's just talk about what you would use if you couldn't use your own product. So you would implement some, you're implementing something, it's going to be a perfect fit for CouchDB, but your manager says, no, you can't use CouchDB. So, what's your next choice? I, I think I'd probably use Preservere, which is actually written in JavaScript. So, <laughs> there you go. Cool. So, be, because it's written in JavaScript and all the other languages are boring. But does it scale? So, so if I couldn't use Cassandra, I'd have to say uh, React's really interesting, but the kind of closed source project they have going on. Uh, and Voldemort, Voldemort's interesting too, but they don't have um, ordered keys. And I love ordered keys, but uh, yeah. So maybe React, maybe Couch. Woo! I couldn't use Mago, perhaps Couch, but it depends on the, the, the scenario. We need to do dynamic queries or something like that. That was just a pain point for a lot of several apps that we went through. I would like to uh, probably check out Redis or some of the other uh, you know uh, systems that probably should have been up here. And I, let me just say that I hope I didn't deter anybody from using MongoDB. I'm just a, a fanboy. Like I said, I wish somebody from Tengen could have been here to adequately represent the, the database. It's a cool database. Actually, I think the one database that also left out, which I think has is very different from from these ones, Neo4j. I think yeah. that if you look at if you look at you know databases that build things for a very specific domain where you have graphs uh, where where actually all your data is structured as graphs you know, take any social network or you know anything with multiple relationships and multiple connections Neo4g is absolutely rocks um, in that sense and I think uh, you know they deserve 
of a, you know, partitioning that is a pretty hard thing exactly, to do. Exactly, you know? yeah. And partitioning no, no, the graph, it's a computer science problem, but it's not true. Solved. No, no, so, hey, why don't we build one? Yeah? Yeah. Um, exactly. So cool. if I can't use... I don't know, I'll go to a barn for a few hours. <laughs> I'll come back and then people will say I can use s vegan. So. All right, so we're cooling down. Any other questions, guys? If not, guys, let's all say thank you, the non-relational database SmackDown. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Changelog. Point your browser to tail.thechangelog.com to find out what's going on right now in open source. Also, be sure to head to github.com forward slash explore to catch up on trending and feature repos as well as the latest episodes of the changelog.